the life that you have called Tim to. Thank you that you put a harness on him. You put a restraint on him because you had plans and you took him through the fire and he didn't rebel. He responded. He said yes, even to those who were uh, on his back and and, uh, creating problems for him. Thank you for his response to suffering. Thank you for what you've taught him that flows out from him in a natural way, in a very natural way to others, that the supernatural is blended with the natural. And we bless him today as he shares with us. We say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. Now, we can either clip it on you or you can hold it. Which would you prefer? I'll hold it. Can I plug that in? There? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Use the stand, too. Okay. Got this. they did without microphones back in the yeah. I've been to that sp- spot where Jesus uh, preached a sermon on the mount and you don't need a microphone there it's quite amazing and I thought why didn't you just design the whole earth that way Lord and, uh, he's like well I kind of did before the flood but y'all messed it up <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting that Apple invented the Bible. (laughs) I wanted to share just a minute because there's so much uh, stirring in my spirit just looking at some of your faces and things that I can hear that you're going through. And I'm really encouraged by those testimonies. Um, prophetic things I sometimes hold. I, I get them a lot, but I sometimes hold them because I don't like to just, you launch into that, you never know <laughs> if you where you're going to end, you know. So, um, But some of you need that. So I just want to, you know, share a couple of words personally before we get into the Word, and I'm not going to try to take too long. And sometimes I say that, and just to warn you, my wife uh, thinks I don't have a time clock. And uh, I'm an Indian, so I I live on Indian time, if y'all know what that is. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But I will try to be respectful of, of what your day is planned. And uh, God's got a lot he wants to do. He's always moving. We don't have to wait for a move of God. It's right in front of us. What we have to do is just get in, get in, in alignment with it. But God has never stopped moving in the earth. Revival's going on all over the world right now. And please don't believe the news. Most of what you hear is not telling you what God's up to. It's telling you what he hadn't done yet. And uh, I'm so encouraged because I get the benefit of going around the world and meeting people all over the place. And I'm hearing stories from everybody that I know that don't always make the evening news, but it's quite astounding what God's up to. So just on a local level, I just want to say a couple of things to a few of you, and then it'll it'll relate to the word. Um, Sister Anna Rose, right? Um, the Lord just says you've been going through a winter season, and he's thankful that you cooperated with him. Yeah. 
he really loves you and likes you. <laughs> and uh, he really does publicly now just say thank you. Yeah. But during the winter, what you think was just everything falling apart was really just his way of putting you through a rest period and pruning you back. The friends that have left were not leaves that fell off the tree. They were branches that were cut off by his design. And it's to save your life. Yeah. Um, but that process will produce much fruit. And you're coming alive again now. The party wasn't just to wake you up again like a tree wakes up at the springtime, but it's to enlarge your spirit also because he's going to bring back much more that he took away. And so in the name of Jesus, may your spirit enlarge and expand so you can contain more of the one that made you. And let the gifts and the grace and the anointing that he designed for you just explode with life in your spirit and flow out of you just as easily as your laughter or your your heart does. You bring joy to the room, but that's why this kind of a season was so troubling to you because part of your purpose is you bring joy to the room. And, and when things aren't going right, you wonder, what do we do, what do the rest of us do when the person that's happy all the time is not happy? Yeah. And But your joy is returned. Yeah. And uh, just live life and enjoy it. Don't try to figure it all out. Yeah. <laughs> um, part of your design is you, you really want to know things you've got a, a, a ferocious curiosity that's been there since you were a child and the Lord says that yeah, I'm not going to tell you everything I'm up to um, but I like he likes that you ask he likes that you inquire and he never forgets when you ask him a question so he may not answer it immediately but he'll direct your steps so that you'll discover it you will learn what he wants you to learn. Yeah. But enjoy life along the way. Yeah. And really, really understand that that's what he created you for. Yeah. <laughs> um, our, our brother, I forget your name, but Charlie. Charlie, Charlie I, I've, uh, my spirit left when you said that you really feel like you're called to be a father. Yeah. Wow. We have many teachers, but we do not have many fathers. To be a father to others, you must be a son. That's what Jesus figured out. He didn't go around and say to 12 guys that needed him, let me be your spiritual father. He said, let me show you what my father is like, because he knew how to be a son. That's not a correction for you. You have that in you, but... The withholding of that from a natural father has connected you with the one that made you. And so let his mantle fall upon you. And let the signet ring of a faithful son be worn on your finger. And may you expand and enlarge the grace of the Lord Jesus so that you'll be seen when you walk in the room by the orphan, by the fatherless. You'll be seen and recognized. Their heart will leap at the sight of you. Don't adopt all of them because you'll want to change all of their lives. <laughs> Wait for the Spirit to say, that one's yours. 
and you're theirs. And don't expect them to give to you what you can't give to them. You must give your heart to them in a way that they don't know how to get back for a season. But you'll win them. You'll win their heart. The benefit, I'm going to give you the secret to that principle. It's real simple. I can say it in one, two sentences. The benefit of that heart is when it's a legitimate connection, when God gives you a child that he's fathering, and he says, be my hands and be my my mouthpiece and be my heart with that person. It's his grace that changes them. You're just getting in on it. But the benefit of that connection when it's legitimate is everything you pray for them, he will answer. Did you hear that? Everything you pray for them, he will answer. And he'll, he'll, you'll, you'll know what to pray because your heart will always tell you. So, Father, I just turn this man over to you as a son. And we recognize that you've got a faithful one in our midst. So would you father him in ways that we've not yet seen? Would you make known to him your character and nature as a father? Would you expand his spirit to contain so much of you that no one would come near him and not feel your love as a father? Wake up the orphan. Wake up the fatherless. Heal the brokenhearted with his life in Jesus' name. Thank you. And Charlie, all that you went through in the last two years, of all that you went through, none of it is wasted. It's not something that you set aside as, well, that was a waste. No, it wasn't. God doesn't waste anything. God is economical in what he does and what others do. He simply takes and he overthrows it and overrules it and brings good out of evil. And so you can... There was no waste in what you've been through, and we rejoice in that. The very birth that you gave to Anna Rosa is is for you. I could, probably any of us could easily speak some things like that that would be accurate over any of you. Um, I feel like the Lord highlighted those two because of the those two characteristics one is uh, understanding the seasons of your life Um, it's not just that she was going through a a winter season it's that she came into a new understanding of a different season that God wanted her to go through and she cooperated with it and came out of it smelling like a rose and but the other is this fathering nature that God is actually trying to reveal himself to the whole earth as a father and we, we keep trying sometimes to reveal him as a writer of the scriptures or as a teacher or as something that we can put into religious terms. And, and God is not building a church like we've understood. He's building a family. You know? All over the earth, he's filling the family with himself. You know? And so the more we can understand his character as a father, it's why that, that thing is so broken all over the world. You know? Even... A lot of us Christians do not know how to be fathers. You know, it's one of the most lacking characteristics in society all over the world. And children are, are the most precious thing to God. And, and 
he just weeps over that not being given to them well, you know. And then people can't understand him if they have a bad reflection sometimes of a father. So those two things uh, are actually related in some ways that y'all need to, to, to hear more on as just as a body. God's going to begin touching both of those things. It's not always winter. It's just understanding what season you're in. But it's also the nature of Father that things, discovering things about him that we haven't figured out yet. He's ready to show it, you know. And he's really showing off for his children right now. So um, let him do it. The interesting thing that I find with people that have that heart like our brother does is they're not just looking for people that need it, but they have received something or they wouldn't even be doing that. They've been with God in some way that birthed that in them. It's not a natural thing to go looking for people that aren't father. The desire to do that comes from sitting with father face to face. And the more you do that, the more that grows in you, and you can't deny it. So I'm confident that he'll do that well, but I, I believe that that is a grace that God is dropping on this whole fellowship, that there's, it's already in you, brother, it's a, and it's just evident with the way people treat this guy. Uh, I don't even know him, but it's evident just seeing people running in and out of the house, how he, he's a father also. And the thing that I want to encourage you on in that though is don't try to be everybody's spiritual father even though that term is often used and I I use it I'm not saying it's wrong but one thing we sometimes need to tweak in that is if if I try to be someone's father I may be trying to do something they need but my real goal is to connect them with father God himself and so I want to reflect him like a mirror not replace it I want to I want to bring that person that needs it to the place where they have an encounter with him. And then they don't become dependent on me. My prayers will always get answered for them, but it's so much funner when they come back to me and say, God told me this. And I know that they heard him right. From that moment on, (laughs) their life has changed. So look for fathering to increase in, in the anointing of this house, but, but I, that, that one little adjustment is not that you're doing it wrong, but that's what God wants us to do, is to figure out how to get close enough to him so that when we're praying for someone else, we know what he wants to do to help that person have an encounter with him face to face. The other thing is blessing, and, I, and that's what I really, I heard him speak the blessing over the wedding last night. It's my favorite blessing. It's, uh, you know, number six, that whole, that whole chapter is about the priestly blessing, but, but the command of number six is, is God saying to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons to speak this blessing over all of the children of Israel. That's all means all. You know, that meant the fatherless also. That meant the ones that didn't have a, a, a dad that would do it also. It, it was don't leave any child out, you know. And that blessing is a guaranteed down payment to have a face-to-face with Father God. May the Lord bless you. May he cause his face to shine on you. Do you want that? Would you like God just to show up one day this close? (laughs) And 
it's amazing to me that he often responds to people that really do need him, but sometimes he waits until someone else calls out to him on their behalf. So a blessing is not just a prophecy. It's connecting something to the Spirit so that God responds to it often immediately. You know. Now for a child to be picked up by someone in a nation and given that blessing. It's just profound when you study that particular blessing out. It says, may he keep you. That's one of the things. May he keep you. Is he he prophesying? (laughs) Tail steppers? (laughs) One of the things that's amazing is what does it mean if you're a child and, you know, you're just trying to figure God out and, and your daddy says to you, you know what, son, you're a keeper. <laughs> God himself says, I'm going to keep you. Well, suddenly, whether they have the whole world figured out or not, they know they have value. And it's tremendous what happens in the heart when you know God wants you. That he wants you. He didn't give you up. He didn't forget you. He wants you to be near him. So to think about that, and I think that one of the most amazing things that we could increase in capability in the body of Christ would be to learn how to bless more and better just with scripture that is written. You know, And if we add something to it that's prophetic, great. But if we just quoted what the word says as a blessing, it's, it's profound, the gift that that gives to every one of the children. You know, Don't neglect it. If you're a father, don't neglect it. Bless your house. You know? Don't wait till the day you're getting ready to die to give them a blessing. You know? I, I blessed mo- both of my daughters the moment they came out of the womb. I didn't want the doctor to touch them before I did. You know? I wanted them to be given to God before anyone else had put their hands on them. My wife had the same opinion. And it was amazing to be able to pick up a baby that's just just born and and give a blessing and know that God was saying, yeah, I'll take that one. And he did. He's done a better job raising them than probably I could have. The other thing is just understanding our character. One of the things that I think I want to share in the scripture is uh, relates to this body and relates to your name because God is really defining character right now. He's doing it with individuals and he's doing it with bodies. And uh, this group has a lot of understanding already in that, I believe. But God's wanting to increase something here. So um, your name is Lydia. You're on Lydia Street. You're Lydia's house. That name makes my spirit just jump and leap, you know. And and I didn't know that was your name until I got here. Uh, Karen had told me some about you, but had not, if she had said to me what your name was, that had not registered with me yet. But the reason why at this point I want to tell you a story, I I have had to live out a protocol that's pretty different from most ministers. Um, I knew I was called of God when I was six years old. Uh, I had a face-to-face with Jesus when I was six years old. He, he, he came and sat on my bed and talked to me all night long you know, and uh, said a lot of things to me about who I was and about my life and how he had made me. And he also answered some things about my future. 
Uh, he said a lot of things I didn't understand that day, but he branded them in my spirit. And as I grew older, I would discover them in the scriptures. And I realized that he, he had quoted the scriptures from all through that conversation. And uh, to this day, I've never forgot one word that he spoke to me. You know? But then I had to discover that that doesn't happen to everybody. You know? And at six, I remember the shock in my heart when I realized that all the Christians that were around me had never experienced that. And I, I asked my mom and dad, my dad was a minister, I said, Dad, doesn't, doesn't everybody see Jesus? I mean, why is that not normal? You know? And he didn't have an answer for me, but he didn't discourage it either. In fact, he told me, he said, Son, you're like Samuel. You just, you're just hungry for God. Go deeper. You can never get enough of his glory. Go deeper. Yeah. He said that as a Baptist pastor who didn't believe in the Holy Spirit, in the filling of the Holy Spirit. But he gave me the advice I needed. And he found what he needed later. You know, I mean, he got it. My whole house got filled with the Spirit. They didn't have much choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they either had to get rid of me or they had to you know, swallow it whole. (laughs) But one of the things the Lord made clear to me as a child is that my life was not going to be normal and it was not going to be like most of my friends and that it would certainly not be like most of the ministers that I would meet. And that was not a bad thing, you know, because, you know, you kind of had this natural desire to be normal and I didn't want to, I didn't want to be abnormal, you know. But when when God wants you a certain way, that's not abnormal. That is better than anything else you could come up with, you know. So if other people think you're a little weird or a little strange, but you're just like Jesus wants you and just like he made you, that is not wrong. That is is exciting and amazing, and, and let them figure it out later. You just be what God created you to be, you know. But when I finally said, okay, I'm going to go the way of Jesus. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to, I'm going to give my life to what he has created me for. I asked him one thing to help out. I said, and, and I thought this sounded like such a noble prayer. You know? Boy, did it mess up my world. <laughs> my prayer was, Jesus, would you teach me your ways? Don't just tell me things. Tell me, what, tell me how you do it. Teach me your ways. You know? I, I thought there was some scripture that says that, but I couldn't remember the exact passage, so that was as good as I could say it. You know? And he chuckled, and he goes, you really want that? <laughs> yes, sir, I do. I want to I walk just like you walk. I want to go just like you go. Now, at six years old, you have a pretty good understanding of life. <laughs> <laughs> You don't think about too many bad things. You know, most six years old don't. And the first thing he said was, are you ready to die? Well, you're telling me about all these good things, Jesus. You're talking to me about how, you know, all the wonderful things you're going to do with my life. You, you, just, you just mapped out about 40 years of my life, and now you want to tell me I'm going to die. Uh, the funny thing about talking to God face-to-face like that is it, one or two reactions happen when you see him like that. Either you will be a puddle on the floor and not be able to breathe, you know, or you will say some really stupid things, <laughs> or both. <laughs> 
<laughs> Even if you start out with stupid, you'll end up a puddle. If you start out with a puddle, you're probably going to find your voice at some point. And he actually likes it when we talk to him. One thing he told me is he said, I want to strengthen you so you can stand in my glory. You know? it, 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 the natural reaction is to go down when God comes near. It's because we're, we're flesh and we know it at that moment. You know? We all think that we're going to be bold and run right into the throne room and jump on his lap. And you don't make it past the first angel before you're a puddle on the floor. You know. But God wants to enable more of his people so that he, he gives you your breath back. He gives you your strength back. He wants you to be able to stand in his glory. He wants to show you off in heaven as a son or a daughter that he's pleased with. In fact, there's an angel assigned to every one of you, and those angels are sometimes hiding their wings because whatever you're doing in your life, it's reflected in the glory. If you're choosing to sin, that angel is having to hide his face in the glory of the throne room of God. But boy, they love it when you're obeying God and walking in his ways and they can just spread their wings and, and worship him. You know? And so God wants us to get to this place where we, we don't have anything that keeps us from running to him and being able to stand to him and even talk to him in a way that you don't know as much as he knows, but he loves it if you come up with something. He really does, even if it comes out stupid, because you're conversing with the one that made you, and you can't have a conversation with God and not become more like him. You can't. A moment with God is like an eternity of change. So I would encourage all of you, go for that. Ask for it. Cry out, cry, beg God if you have to, but get in front of his face. Ask him to open up the, the glory of God to you. you know, not enough people have seen it. Not enough people have experienced it. You know. The other problem with that, though, is when you do, and, and I know some of you in this room have, it kind of messes you up. You know. What happens to the six-year-old? I'm, I'm the product of this. That when you've seen the streets of gold, when you've swam in the river that comes out of the throne, when you've looked at this multitude of angels worshiping him, when I've sat with the martyrs at his feet, and then I got to come back and go to breakfast with my mom and dad, and I got to clean my room, <laughs> and I got to go play baseball with my buddies. I just swam. I mean, this was, it, it was weird to go to a place like that with God, and then you got to be normal the way everybody else wants. You know? And it was, it was tough to keep my mind on things that were right in front of me that were important when I had tasted of his throne. You know? It's not easy, but he helped me with that. And in that question that I asked him, I want you will you teach me how to walk in your ways? And he said yes, but he also said it will cost you everything. As I grew older, scriptures began to stand out to me, and I, I want to read this one passage to you that relates to you guys. It's Acts 16. I, I'm 
convinced probably you wouldn't have the name Lydia without understanding something about this. Either God gave you some prophetic insight, but however he named you and caused you to have that, maybe it's just because the street out there says Lydia. But let me declare to you boldly that that name is very prophetic for you and for every one of you that are part of this place because it's prophesying a protocol, not just prophesying an important name. How many of you know who Lydia in Scripture is? How many of you know about her history? Nobody. I've met her family. I've met the descendants of this woman. And it was amazing how God arranged that. So one of the things that happened to me when I asked for God's ways, I didn't know what I was asking for. I just wanted to be like him. But to be like God, you've got to learn to think like him, move like him, respond to others like him. You've got to learn to love. can't get away with not doing that one. No. And so that question saying, I want to walk in your ways, was more, it was a lot deeper question than I understood as a child. He said, to give you that, I'm going to have to make you like me, and that means everything in you that's not like me has got to go. Well, that sounded cool at six, but, you know, by the time I was 15, he and I were having a wrestling match every day. Until I finally realized that this is not about sin so much, it's about choice. I have to choose life. I have to choose to walk in God's ways. And he doesn't make me. He just opens the door and invites me in. I don't have to go there. He'll still save me, love me, change me, take me to heaven. I just won't experience what he created me for. But I don't want to miss that. So one of the things God said is, I'm going to show you how to walk in my protocol. And he said, that means everything's going to be different. Well, the first thing that God began to really teach me about was relationships. You know, this is why it relates to our friend here. As a seventh grader in junior high, I had to give Jesus permission to deal with every single friend I had. Well, that sounds so easy. But I was saying, if they choose to be my friend, they're going to have to get near him. If, if he's going to be near me, they're going to have to get near him. You know? So, Jesus, you have my permission to choose my friends. That's how I worded it. The problem was I had already chosen a few. <laughs> and, and I had buddied up with them. You know, I was a good friend. And he started pruning that. And it didn't come easy. It wasn't just, you know, hey, I don't want to be your friend anymore. You're, you're kind of weird. It was mean and malicious sometimes. You know? And every time it's like, don't do that, son. Don't go where you want to go with that. Love them like I love them. They don't understand. Respond back to them the way you know I would. You know? And just live out the cross. That sounds so cool when we say it. But when you start doing it, it is hard for anybody. What it did is it drove me back to prayer. As a child, I prayed all the time. But I began to neglect prayer when I got into junior high. You know why? Because all my friends would rather play baseball or football or, or do something fun. And nobody that I knew was praying, including my own minister father. He prayed about five minutes or ten minutes a day. 
And I stretched my dad when I said, Jesus wants us to pray, Father. Would you pray with me? And he's like, okay. And he gave me his five minutes. And then he was ready to do something else. And Jesus wasn't done. And it took us deeper. And it wasn't overnight. But the more I prayed with my father, the the more Jesus took us deeper and deeper and deeper. And I, I couldn't expect him to pray unconditionally and to pray unceasingly when, when seminary only taught him to pray over lunch. You know. And I don't blame the seminary for that. Nobody can give you what they've not received. You know. But it was interesting how God began to use my heart. He would stretch me a little bit. My dad would see it. He would want it. But our relationship grew in this amazing way because God took us both to new places with him. And I didn't want to go there without my dad. You know. But I was sometimes. I, I had to go tell him about it, and then he'd get hungry for it. You know. But when I began to see that God was going to rule over every area of my life, you know, it was okay with my friends. I, I didn't have too much trouble with that. All right, if you want to get rid of Steve, if you want to get you know, Joe to go away, that's, that's your decision, Jesus. I'll cooperate with it. But please don't take that cute girlfriend away. Oh, that's the absolute one, you know, and he does. But then what happened is God began to change something to me that I didn't realize. He began to give me something I couldn't see. I couldn't have described it to you as a young man. But he began to enlarge my heart. A capacity to love unconditionally began to grow in me. So that I didn't do everything well. I sinned a lot. I fell a lot. I didn't do everything right. I changed. I I was, uh, you know would have been probably the worst rascal born on the earth if I hadn't been saved. You know? So God had his hands full with me. But as he changed me, I began to realize that he was ordering everything in my life. He, was, he was, had become, at some point I finally said it, I was about summer of seventh grade, after seventh grade, I finally said, I live in a democracy, but you've become my king. I didn't even really... <laughs> No, fully what he meant. I just knew I had bowed my knee to him. And I had given him permission to make every decision that was important in my life. And I had, I had decided that I'm not going to do something without inquiring of the Lord about it. Now, that doesn't mean that he made every decision. He sometimes tells you what he wants, and other times he gives you the capacity to know what is in his word and to know what is in his heart. And he wants you to choose life. And he may not give you all the details till you choose the right thing. And then he floods you with more details. Some of you are hesitant in decisions because you're trying so much to be like God. And God wants you to move. He doesn't want you to sit still and be stagnant. He wants you to move. But he wants you to move the right way and to move in everything you know about him. And as you continue to do that, if you start getting off, he will step in front and help. He'll keep you in the right way if you've given him permission to do it. But I would challenge all of you, especially you children and young men, give God permission to, to help you choose everything he has created you for. It's the only great way to go. You cannot figure out any way to build your life that's going to be in comparison with, with what God himself created you for. You cannot replace his perfect will with anything that's worth it. Nothing comes near it. Nothing. 
the people that we think sometimes are the most successful people in the world who might have a lot of money or a lot of influence or a lot of reputation or, or skillful at something, if they don't have Jesus, they are not walking in the very best. You know? And so one of the things that I found is that when I gave God permission, he started teaching me about the protocols of heaven. It's kind of what he called it. And the word protocol wasn't used very much when I was a child. Um, but when I started looking at Scripture then, Acts 16, Scriptures like this began to stand out to me. And one of the things that I saw when I read this, the first, really the, the first time I read this, now let me clarify that, I had read it many times, but not really heard it. Okay. And one of the things that happened with me when I said to Jesus, I want you to order my life, he, he restructured how my brain thought. And he did it very creatively by using the word of God. He told me, first of all, stop reading the word the way you are. I would just read it until I'd get tired and fall asleep. I would, I would read, you know, a whole book sometimes. And he goes, read one scripture and then talk to me about it. And wait until I begin to answer you before you go further, you know. He said, it's the living word of God, so you're not going to get out of it what I want you to get out of it unless I'm living in front of you when you're reading it. Experience me when you read each verse, and then I will give you revelations that are beyond what anyone has taught. And he has. So when I looked at Acts 16, we often read this just as a story. It's a missionary story, but this is where Timothy joins Paul and Silas. And, you know, everywhere that my name was mentioned, I thought, i got to learn those scriptures. Because <laughs> I was named after this guy. You know? And I found uh, my character falls a lot, of, a lot into it. His name means chosen of God. You know? I like that. I didn't like Timothy when I was a kid. You know? And then one of my best friends was also, I, there was three Timothys in my g- grade school. One guy started going by Timbo, which I thought was really weird. One guy refused to be called anything but Timothy, and everybody started calling me Tim or Timmy so they could distinguish us, and I hated Timmy. And so one day I just said, Jesus, why did my mama name me Timothy? I, and he said, because of what I did. You know? And he told me what my name meant. And I started really, well, I'm going to go see what that kid did in Scripture. In this passage, though, Paul, Silas, and Timothy are trying to go on a journey, and they're going through a region that's called Lystra and Derbe, and there's a disciple there. He finds Timothy, and Timothy has this good reputation, but he also has a problem. He's got a Jewish mother, so I don't know if y'all know any Jewish moms, but that's a problem sometimes. Yeah. And I say that lightly because I understand it. <laughs> I love them, but they're different. Yeah. He's also got a Greek father. Now, that's an instant conflict that, that we just get one sentence telling, telling us about. It's a family life conflict going on right there, and we get one sentence. And you've got to be in front of Jesus to figure out how big that is. You know? A Greek father and a Jewish mother, what is that? That is a disaster waiting to happen. But it's also something glorious if God intervened. You know. 
And he did. He intervened and he brought out of that womb a chosen son. Out of a Greek mind and a Jewish mother, he brings a, a chosen son who we don't ever see anything philosophical about Timothy. We don't ever see anything challenging about him. He just does what God wants. How did he get that from a a family that was really kind of highlighting what was messing up the entire society? You got three great problems in the earth of that day. And Israel, who was without the covenant, they had fallen away from the covenant. And most of them were scattered. And then you've got the Greeks who were trying to run the world with philosophy and the Romans who were running the world with with the sword. All of those things were in conflict. Timothy's born in that conflict and his whole life must have depicted it in some natural way that if you knew that family, you would have seen what was, go- what was wrong and messed up in the whole world. If you'd sat at their kitchen table, you would have seen the problem that exists when the Greeks and the Jews get together. It was at the table, I promise you. Because here's the principle. Whatever God wants to do in the world through you, he will put you in it before he sends you to it. He will bring it in front of you before he requires it of you. You'll know it with one before you will ever experience it with many. So Timothy had to figure out how to be chosen of God and overcome the Greek mindset and break through the religious strongholds of the Jews and somehow recognize a guy like Paul when he came through. And he did. But at the same time, Paul sees him. And so I had a vision. When I was praying this scripture, I read it, and I thought, Jesus, you know, is this my house? Is my house like this? And it, it really is. It really is somewhat like that. You know? I wouldn't have called my dad a Greek, and I wouldn't have called my mom a Jewish mother at the time, but I've discovered some things about him since. <laughs> But when I began to hear him while I was reading this, the Lord said to me, I want to show you something about Timothy. And so while I'm praying and reading, I went into a vision. And in this vision, I'm suddenly in the heavenly realms, and I see this old man, and he's bald-headed and bow-legged. Y'all know what bow-legged is? <laughs> we, we know what that is in Texas because if you ride horses, you know, you get bow-legged. And he's, he's walking like this. He's bow-legged. He's an older man, and he was bald-headed. And he wasn't bald, you know, he was bald with age, I think. And he's carrying a, a child in his arms. Only it didn't look like a little child. It looked like a teenager. And he's going into the glory, and the angels depart. Uh, they, they, they shift to both sides of the room and make an aisle. And he's walking up this aisle trying to carry this child. And then he stumbles in the middle of the room. And I saw Jesus stand up on his throne, dance like this for a moment with ecstatic joy, and then he leapt off the throne, and he ended up in the middle of the room. And he said to this bow-legged, bald-headed man who was named Paul, he said, I'll take him from here. And he holds his hands out, and Paul put this young man in Jesus' hands. You know. And Jesus went back up onto the, his throne, carrying this child, And he sat down on his throne and held this child in his lap. And he said, your name is Timothy. I created you with my own hands. You're chosen of me. Now let me introduce you to your real father. And he picked him up and he threw him into the cloud of God's glory. And all I saw was this swirling cloud that was frightening. Frightening. 
And then the voice of God as a father said, Oh, my son. I don't know if you've ever heard God speak like that, but when he speaks, the whole room shook. I thought the DNA in my body was going to fly apart. Just at the, oh, my son. He, he can't open his mouth without affecting everything around him. And I couldn't see anything in the, I couldn't see anything but the angels around that. Jesus still sitting on his throne. The cloud of glory began to fill the room until couldn't even see Jesus anymore. He's encapsulating both sons. And I, I didn't really understand the Trinity at that time, but it was the first time that I really had some revelation that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one, but they have distinct differences. You know. And I saw them apart and I saw them together in a way that I can't even hardly put into words. Sometimes in the glory they're all together and sometimes they're distinctly separate. But Father God wrapped himself around this young man and you can't hardly take your eyes off of something like that. But I glanced over and here was Paul. He's on the floor and he's rejoicing. He's like, my prayers have been answered. My prayers have Because his goal, his goal with everyone he met was to get them into that cloud. Oh, how I groan and travail and press in the spirit that you might be filled with him, that you might know him in the power of his resurrection. That young man just met resurrection power face to face because that guy had prayed him into that place. That's fathering. That's a real father. And then as he, as the cloud began to swirl and move, it looked like a tornado, but was it destructive? Suddenly, here comes this young man flying out of it through the air. <laughs> and Jesus catches him again. It was like a game. They, they were having fun with this. Father threw the child and Jesus threw the child. They, they were having a blast together with a new son that just had a revelation of them. It was so full of life and joy. It wasn't what we think heaven is. We have got such an understanding of God that he's always prim and proper. And he knows how to play and have more fun than we do. And Timothy was laughing when he lands on Jesus' lap the second time. He's ecstatically laughing. He's got joy that you cannot put into words. Because for the first time, I think, in his life, he knew who he was. And he knew what he was born for. A moment with God changes you for eternity. And then this is what Jesus said. Jesus says, I knew you when I formed you in the womb. He goes, that's the breath that filled your lungs when you were in your mother's womb and gave you life. And again, all of heaven got knocked over. I mean, everybody hit the floor when the breath of the master hit us. And he's like, I enter into every womb and I give a child the breath of life. 
I did it for Adam, and I'm still doing that. I breathe your life into you. Your spirit and my breath are one and the same. That's what he said to Timothy. Your spirit and my breath are one and the same. You live because I breathe my life into you. Now, all I need from you is love me all the days of your life. Love me. I created you to love me. And then I heard Jesus say what I'd never heard him say. He said, that's the one thing I cannot give to myself. I can create anything I desire, but I cannot give myself the love that I want. I had to create you to love me. Love me, son. And then he says, from your youth, you've wanted to be a priest. And your mother has told you you'll never be a priest. And your grandmother has told you you'll never be a priest because your daddy is a Greek. And among the Jews, that would have been a problem. He would not have been a Levite wearing the ephod. He would have been disqualified because he was a half-breed and his father was a Greek. But Jesus says, son, I put that desire in you. You were called to be a priest, but not under the order of Levi. You were called to be a priest under the order that I am. You will be my priest in the earth. I will put my mantle on you, and you will live to be an old man preaching my word. When I witnessed that, and then suddenly he hands this boy back to Paul. Then I knew this was the Apostle Paul. I didn't know who he was when I first saw him, but realized that's the guy that's written in Scripture. That's, that's the guy they call Apostle Paul. Why am I seeing this? And, and as I saw this so vividly, I'm like, Jesus, why am I seeing this? Uh, it meant a lot to me because his name was the same as mine, but I'm like, why are you showing me this out of this Scripture? Yeah. He said, because I want you to understand Paul's heart And I want you to understand that conflict that it took my word to settle something that Timothy wanted and had a desire to be. But the religious, even though his mother and grandmother were praying women, this religious boundary that they thought things had to be a certain way because they only knew it that way. They did not know how to encourage this young man to become what he had been born for. Because in their world, That wasn't going to work. But in God's world, all things are possible. All things are possible. As long as it's what he wants. When I saw that and I realized God had designed two people for something that they did not know they were going to be. Paul thought his life was going to be very different. And he learned what he had to suffer for the name's sake. Timothy thought his life was going to be very different, and both of them found the real life that they were born for. When I, when I saw that, the Lord said, you, you know, I began to converse with him. I'm like, Jesus, this is so amazing what you're showing me. Thank you for letting me see this. I know who I am. But he said, you are not figured it all out yet, son. Don't think you've got this all down. You're going to be learning this one for the rest of your life. 
Well, I learned a lot that day watching what happened in the heavens, but I can honestly now detest to you at 53 years old that I'm still learning this particular principle. Because the, the rest of the story is God said, now I want you to go forward in the scripture, and I want, you to see, I want you to see everyone I named by name that touched the scriptures because of Paul's work and obedience to me. And I especially want you to notice the people that I mentioned them by name, but I don't tell you much about them. You know. Well, why is that important? He said, because nations opened up to me because of each one that he names. He says, everyone that you see mentioned in Scripture that I connected with Paul represents a nation. You know. When I gave Timothy to Paul, I gave him grace. When he gave Barnabas as a relationship to Paul, the Jews opened up. When he meets Lydia, the seller of purple, all of Asia, here's the gospel within about a two to three year period. Now here's the real story. Something about Lydia is showing us a principle in scripture where we get a promise from God and everybody I know that links up with this name in some way has a prophetic understanding of life. You guys certainly do. But what happens with Lydia is we think we know what God is telling us, and then as it grows, as it works out, as we walk through life, it turns out a whole lot different from what we thought. And yet it's still right. It's not that we're missing it or not doing it right. It's that God wants us to experience life along the way, and he doesn't always give us all the details. He just connects the protocol. He walks in his own way. So when he brings Lydia, it's quite a story. If you read through the rest of chapter 16, he does not allow Paul to go to Asia. And yet up to that point, for an entire journey, everywhere Paul wanted to go, the Spirit just showed up and moved mightily. And suddenly Paul runs into a roadblock, and the Spirit himself says, Paul, you cannot go to Asia. Why? Why does a sent man whose, whose gift is being sent into the world, an ambassador for heaven, why is he now told, no, you can't go to a certain spot? If you hear what I'm about to say, it'll change the destiny of many of your lives. The reason was because he had not connected with the relationship that God had designed yet. He couldn't have the baby that would be born of the Spirit until he connected with covenant that somebody had God designed. Do you hear what I just said? The unfruitful thing that he desired to do and knew that God had called him to do could not bear fruit until it was legitimate by God's design. Marriage works the same way. If you have a baby and you're not married, what do we call that? A baby. But it's illegitimate. And that's, that's something we need to understand about God. You know, doesn't mean the child's not valuable. just means something in the covenant was not done right. You know. And it can war with the spirit of the child for the rest of their days if they don't get with God and fix it. It brings a curse on them for ten generations. Ten generations. Not one, ten generations. Only God can fix it. And he does. He's fixing this stuff all over the earth. Some of you may be a product of that nine or ten generations back. 
And God's fixing lots of things in your life because he's, he gave you his son in order to give you something better than what the law requires. But you need to understand the legitimacy with God, and this is the way it works. First, I connect here, and then he assembles his body out here. And we sometimes think that we can just assemble a group of people and call it the body of Christ. And God is such a master builder, he assembles it by design. He doesn't just randomly throw something in the, in the room. He brings some of you from, other, from afar so he could connect you with someone here. How many of you represent another place in the world outside the United States? A few of you. Yesterday I met some Greeks and I met some... Uh, um, let's see, uh, Latvia and um, Poland, and and then I'm Native American, so you know you've got 39 nations coming to you from Oklahoma right now. <laughs> that woman over there is part. She's she's of a of a tribe also. So we don't just come to you saying we're from the church in in uh, Bethany, but we're also coming from another nation. You know. Well, it's quite amazing when God does that. So here's what I want you to understand about Lydia. Before Jesus would allow Paul to go into Asia, he gives him a vision, and he sees a Macedonian man, and that man says, come over here and help us. Now, we don't know the name of whoever that was in the vision. It was probably a real person. I'm learning that this is how Jesus sometimes works. Most likely, Paul met that man, or it may have just been the body in Macedonia looking for God. You know, I think it was a real person that Paul met. It's very likely the Macedonian man was not somebody that God wanted to tell us a lot about because we don't have all the details. We have the protocol in Scripture. But then we get this fascinating little side story that suddenly in the city of Philippi, is a lady named Lydia who is a seller of purple. And she's from the city of Thyatira, which was from the region that Paul had just been told, you can't go there. So he brought Asia to Philippi in order to get Paul to Asia. Does that make sense? He couldn't just go. He's got to go in the ways of the one that made him. He's got to walk in God's ways. He can't just get on the train and get to Asia. He has to walk in how God has ordered his steps. And God is such a master builder that before he wants to birth a work somewhere else, he wants to introduce you to someone precious to him that represents the place. So most of the time when we're praying for other nations, a mysterious thing starts happening in our lives. It's subtle. But it's profound. You'll just start meeting people from other nations. Why? He's bringing them to you. He's bringing your prayers back to you. And if you know how to walk in the protocol, those doors will open to you because if you cooperate with the relationship, he may give you that nation as an inheritance. Did you hear me? He may give you that nation as an inheritance. If you know how to love the one, you have a right to the whole. Isn't that profound? The world cannot touch this. The world system does not know how to move in the ways of God. Our sons and daughters have access to heaven in a way that has designed the whole earth and created every living being in it. And if we just learn how to walk in God's ways, we are going to change the world.
one person, one nation. Here's what happens when you meet the nation and you see them as this Greek, this half Greek has something that God has designed. It looks wrong. It looks broken. It looks like a messed up household. But God ordered that little Jewish woman's steps and he somehow had his eye on that father because he knew what he could pull out of the womb. And he was going to pull an ambassador out of the womb of something broken and then put Paul's hands on it and put Paul's prayers into it and give Timothy a destiny that no man in his city had ever comprehended. And all of Greece just bows its knee to Jesus. And then Asia began to bow its knee to Jesus. Something shifted in Philippi that changed the course of the whole earth. It's profound when you begin to comprehend it because one person's obedience is to say, yes, I hear the gospel. Yes, I receive this from God. I've heard you, your life. I've seen what's going on in you. I want that. And God may decide, okay, now I'm going to move in their whole nation in a way that's not been seen yet. Your obedience very likely is connected to a portion of the earth in a profound way. And you don't know who you are. You only know what's right in front of you. You've been taught to think so small that you, you need to reintroduce yourself to the one that made the entire universe just for his pleasure. If he can set the stars in his place, why can't he give you a nation as an inheritance? You know? And it's not just about good news and about getting people saved. What is going to happen when we get a hold of this protocol? Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And you may be one of the ones that then can bring a nation to the, foot, to the feet of your master and say, Jesus, I have brought you Romania. I have brought you Africa. I have brought you Latvia. I have brought you Greece. I have brought you everything you put in front of me. It belongs to you because you're the king of the whole earth. Now, how does that work? It doesn't work if you think that your life is so important that you miss the moment of destiny. If you don't, haven't learned to love already the way he loves, if you haven't already chosen to let him order your steps, then you will probably completely miss these opportunities. He'll bring the nation in front of you, and you'll just think it's another student with a different accent. Or you'll just see another person over there that's a little strange, a little weird, and all messed up, and you think, well, i got too much going on in my life to be friends with them. But when you start understanding how God does things, then you know I've got to give my life to what he has created me for. And then the little things that he leads you to do sometimes just profoundly open up the power of God. We've got to see this. And I'm telling you, this, this fellowship has the capacity to open up regions in the earth to the gospel that have not been open in our lifetime. He's bringing them to your city. He's bringing sons and daughters that do not know him to your city so he can give you those nations. Do you hear me? Some of you are already touching it. Some of you are already holding it in some way. And if you will just put some feet to your prayers, you know, God will give you more understanding with how to do it. But if I fall in love with someone from afar, it may mean that I'll go there. 
Paul did. Lydia's first statement, this is so funny, her first statement, she says, if you consider me worthy, if, if, if you can see that I have believed, that I have come to believe, then come to my house. Do you know what she's talking about? She's not talking about the house she probably had in Philippi. She's talking about the house of her home. She's from Thyatira. She's just opened the door for Paul to go where the Spirit has said you cannot go. Do you get that? He ends up in Thyatira and then Ephesus and then Galatia and then the seven churches of Asia begin to be birthed. Later, when he writes a, a letter, he says, it's two, approximately two years later, after he meets Lydia, he writes a letter, and he says, all of Asia has heard the gospel. What? He didn't have the internet. He didn't have, you know, FedEx or UPS, and they had donkey delivery for letters. If they had a donkey, somehow the gospel spread like a wildfire through Asia. It's happening again. You know why it's happening now? Because there's a few people that are still walking in this way. Why is this place called Lydia then? Why did God choose a street near St. Paul called Lydia? What has he put under your feet? What has he grafted you to? It's not a little home fellowship and it's absolutely not a cult. Answer that with power. Answer that word with power from now on. You know, let me prove to you it's not a cult. What do you need that only God can do? Pray for it and he'll do it. He's, he's mad over those kinds of statements because the world is talking themselves out of connecting with him. Someone put that stupid thought in her head. You got to take it out with power. When she's healed or when her friend's healed or her mother's healed or something happens that only God can do, she'll never believe you're a cult from then. You know. Get that out of there. That's Greek thinking. It's Greek reasoning. Somebody said you got to be a certain way and look a certain way or it's a cult. And the problem is everybody that says that is usually the cult. <laughs> <laughs> It don't, might have a denominational name on it, but it's still not good to Jesus. Start answering these things with power. Understand when God puts an opportunity like that in front of you, he's wanting to do something you've not seen before. Just ask him where he wants to go and he'll show you. you know, doesn't mean you did something wrong, but, but answer every kind of statement like that with his glory. Okay. Now, I learned something by the protocol. I learned that when God brings somebody to me, usually he brings them to me in a mess or in a conflict or in something that they need a miracle. Timothy's family, I I can't prove this to you from Scripture, but I can tell you from my vision, I understood Timothy's family was functional in some way because they loved each other, but dysfunctional in their backgrounds, the clash of backgrounds, the clash of all that they thought was right. And somehow, just because a Greek dad and a Jewish mom loved one another, they held themselves together until they had a glorious son. But when I've started understanding to look past the, the dysfunction in someone's life that God brings to me, 
and to look for what he's wanting to respond to it with. How does the miracle come? It's amazing to me that sometimes God is just begging. His heart is just aching to show up for people that are calling out to him from afar. But he won't just pop into their room and show his face to them. He'll bring you. He'll bring you first. Because he trusts you to be like him. And if you don't act like him, it doesn't seem to blow his world up. Let me tell you something. Your worst mistakes have not messed up heaven yet. Your absolute missing God's glory have never uh, moved the throne one-tenth of an inch. So lean on his sovereignty. Ask a lot of questions. Go deeper. But I want you to profoundly cry out for some wisdom and understanding on why is this place Lydia? And I can say to you, in Jesus' name, I can say, the Lord says, you are Lydia because I have connected nations to you. And I have given you a portion of the earth. This little place that not everybody in the city even knows about. I have given you a portion of the earth. Bring it back to me. Stay on your knees before me. Stay humble and keep your ears open. Open your eyes and see my ways. And I release into you now a capacity for my wisdom, a stretching of your spirit so you can comprehend the revelation that comes from me, the wisdom that is written in my word. Not just the way a normal teacher would teach it, but I give you a capacity to walk in it, to live there, to be there, to know my ways, not just hear about them. To be able to explain it to your children and your children's children. I enlarge your spirit today to contain more of me. This place will be known for my presence. But if I bring my presence to you, I expect a return on my investment. So I'm not just bringing my presence in order to overwhelm you with glory or to Break open your joy, although I love those moments. I bring my presence to you to bring my wisdom also, that you might bring the earth back to me. And you need to hear me now, says the Lord. The nations are mine. You will live to see the day, many of you in this room, you will live to see the day where every man, woman, and child in regions of the earth will bow their knee to me. And call me king. I'm going to shake your own government. I'm going to shake the nations all over the earth. But I will have my inheritance. My father has sworn with uplifted hand. To give me the inheritance of the nations. He will not withhold it from me. He will not allow them to not choose me. He has brought his power to you. And now he takes you to the ends of the earth. Cry out to me. Cry out to me and I will answer you with my power. 
lean on me, and I will cause your heart to beat in resonance with mine. This day I change the rhythm of your heart. You're going to beat with my heart. You will know now what makes me laugh, and you will know what makes me weep. You will laugh when I laugh, and you will weep when I weep. Do not be troubled by this. Stand near me and walk with me all the days of your life. I just hear the Lord saying one more thing and then I'm done. I can't say this very often. I've heard it a few times in my life, but I can't say it very often. But Jesus says, thank you. I don't know why. I don't know what you've already done that's got his attention. But he says, thank you. I wished I could say that everywhere I go. So I commend you to him. Read the rest of the chapter. Cry out to him for more understanding on who this Lydia woman was. When I began to do that, He brought to me 39 people from northern Turkey who can trace their direct lineage with records back to Lydia in Scripture. Their family was the first Christians in Asia. They sat in a room with me and we cried out for the nations. And then I asked them if they would go to Turkey with me because I've got an invitation to come there. And the grandfather of that family said, son, you're asking us to go to our deaths. The reason we're here in the U.S. is we were rescued from being martyred. If we go back with you, we'll be killed. You're asking us to go to our deaths. And I didn't know that. I didn't think that far ahead. I just liked them. Couldn't imagine going to their country without going with them. And then a precious lady's three-year-old daughter. She was just one of the ladies in the room, and her three-year-old daughter, she didn't know me. I just walked in that room that day. That child ran across the room and crawled up at my laps. She sat on my lap, and she grabbed my face, and she said, I'll go with you. And her mother said, you don't know what you're saying. She goes, he loves Jesus. He loves Jesus. I want to go where Jesus is going. And she said to her mommy, mommy, even if I die, our nation belongs to Jesus. That's a three-year-old talking. A three-year-old. She understood more about the cross than I did. She had lived it in her own household. It was in her DNA. And her grandfather said, if Jesus wants us to go, we'll all go. The next month, I went to Hawaii. And a rabbi friend of mine says, I just got a call from the, the, assistant, the, the uh, vice president of Turkey. And he asked me to come over and invest in an archaeological project they just found. They have discovered the ancient church of Galatia. And there's written records that they're finding and they want me to come over and inspect it. And they offered to give me that spot 
if I will build a museum for tourists. And I said, can you talk to him on the phone? He said, yes. I said, pick up the phone and call him. So he got him on the phone. And I said, my friend wants me to help in this project, and I'm willing to, but here's the conditions on our end. Number one, I've met the family that's left from the martyrs of your nation. I've met the last 39 people left from the first family that began to bow their knee to Jesus, and they must stay alive. You must give me a guarantee to stop the martyr spirit that's in your nation. Tell the Muslims to stop killing them. Can you do that? He's like, I can say that. I don't know if they'll obey that. I said, but if you ask them, it carries more weight than if we do. And I said, I got one more condition. We'll build you a museum, but only if you agree to this. Let us resurrect the church that was there also. It'll be a church for every nation to come to and worship the king. Muslims will be invited too, but they're going to get introduced to Jesus. And I'm sitting there, my friend, my rabbi friend has got his mouth on the floor, and I'm sitting there thinking, what did I just say to this guy? And he said, that is probably the right thing to do. I want you to understand this because within the next few years, a resurrection is about to take place in the earth. You read your scriptures from the book of Acts forward, none of the churches listed exist today in the form that they were birthed in those places. There are Christian churches in many of those cities, but none of the churches exist functioning like Jesus birthed in the scripture. But he's about to resurrect his body all over the earth. He didn't start something in these places and then abandon it. He's going to finish with the whole nation bowing their knee to him. Israel belongs to him. Greece belongs to him. Europe belongs to him. America belongs to him. So take that now down to your neighborhood. Start there. What would it look like if everybody within a square mile said yes to Jesus. Take the neighborhood and then ask for the nation. Okay, that's the... We're going to turn this into a prayer meeting now. I know that there are a couple of you that already let me know you need to go, so you're free go but we want to turn this into a time of prayer and out of that message there's something on your heart it may be a nation maybe any of you feel that God has given spoken something to you about a nation or nations any anybody some of you have felt that so during prayer let's pray that pray pray into that there may be other words that he spoke that that caught your attention and that you want to turn that into a prayer So we're going to just spin around, find somebody that you feel comfortable praying with, two or three, not five or six, just two people, and take a moment to to prayer. If you need to leave, feel free to go. But the rest of us, we're not going to fellowship yet. We'll fellowship in a moment. But right now, we're just going to make this time a time of prayer. So find somebody close to you.